0: Today's message is entitled, Explain Explain Yourself. Please explain yourself. I want to read this verse also as recorded in the Message Bible. It says, Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention. In adoration before Christ, your master, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you are living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy. Please explain yourself. Everyone loves a great opportunity. I remember when I was graduating from high school, and we're upon high school graduation season, but I remember when I was graduating from high school, I was invited to Lincoln University for an admissions interview. They had received my application, they would received my transcript, but they wanted to talk to me in person because they wanted to explain to me the educational opportunity that the nation's first historically black college and university would offer me. And after taking the ride to Lincoln University with my parents and sitting there with the admissions counselors, they fully explained themselves as to what kind of opportunity I would have if I came to Lincoln University. And they explained to me that if I enrolled and came and studied and graduated from Lincoln University, that it would change my life. And so that's what they declared to me. A few years later, I was thinking about attending seminary and I submitted my application and I was invited to the campus of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And there I had a conversation with Dr. William Sheridan, who was a church history professor. And he told me that I was invited to the campus because he wanted to explain to me what the seminary was offering was not just an ordinary uh, educational experience. But he told me while sitting in that room that the seminary wanted to offer me a life-changing experience. But the final decision would be mine. Well, a few years later, I was serving, this was after graduation, I didn't get called to a church, I didn't have a church position, and so I accepted a position to serve as the youth director at the Village West Apartment Complex in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, I did not want to be the youth director at the Village West Apartment Complex in Louisville, but... I was doing it even though I didn't want to do it. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever been in a situation where you were doing something, but you did not want to be doing it? Life is funny like that, isn't it? Sometimes we're doing things, but that's not what we want to do. That's not what we feel called to do. And We need some help. We need an out. We need an alternative. We need hope. We need somebody to come into our lives and give us another opportunity. And while I felt called to do something other than be the youth director, down in the west end of Louisville, a friend of mine explained to me that Dr. Matt King Carter was in town and that he was teaching a class at the seminary and that he was also looking to fill a staff position on his church, at his church. Well, he tried to hire someone else and the hire did not work out, so he was now looking way down the list to see if he could just find somebody. And so he asked me to send a resume. And sent my resume, and Dr. Carter invited me over to his apartment. And he began to explain to me that if he were to bring me to be on the staff and to work with him at the Mount Olive Church in Fort Lauderdale, that that church would be a life-changing opportunity for me. Well, let me confirm three things. Attending Lincoln University did change my life. Attending Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky changed my life. Bill Sheridan was correct. And serving on the staff at the Mount Olive Church changed my life and the direction of my life. But nothing beats what took place on a crowded bus that I was taking from the college campus home um, when I was sitting on the bus, and a young lady gets on the bus, beautiful co-ed college student, gets on the bus, crowded bus, no seats on the bus. And so I offer her my seat, and I will just leave it at that. I offered her my seat, and I exchanged my seat in hopes of having a conversation as we traveled on this crowded bus together, but never in my wildest imagination did I anticipate the young lady whose name was Joyce Davis talking to me about God. I thought we might talk about college. I thought we might talk about the campus. I thought we might talk about the university. I thought we might talk about the curriculums. I thought we might talk about the fraternities and sororities. I thought we might talk about whether or not she had a boyfriend. But I never thought that we would talk about God. And so after several miles on that bus, she began to explain herself. She explained to me, she made it clear to me that she was a Christian. And then she began to talk about how Jesus Christ could change my life. She said, what I'm offering you is a life-changing opportunity. And here I am today, some 36 years later, after she explained herself, And her commitment to Jesus Christ. And honestly, uh, not like Lincoln University, not like Southern Seminary, not like the job at Mount Olive. My life literally has never been the same. And you know what, my brothers and sisters, if we know Jesus, we have an opportunity to offer other people a better life right now. Now, don't get it twisted. Um. I believe I'm going to heaven. But being a Christian is not about taking an immediate trip to heaven. Uh, Being a Christian is about uh, enjoying what Christ has for us in the here and now. In other words, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. Heaven will take care of itself. But while you're here, I want you to have an abundant life. And and, and, And not only that. Let me tell you another thing about Christianity. As we look at our community and we look at all the pathologies in our community, knowing Jesus is still the best answer to all of the issues of our community. Knowing Jesus will make you a better student. Somebody say amen. Knowing Jesus Christ and following him will make us better parents. It will make us a better professional and it make us b- better servants in our community. And there are people who know that you are a believer and they are hoping that you would take the time to explain yourself. You know, the only way people are going to know about the joy that you have and the peace that you have and the favor on your life and the, and the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ is if you explain yourself. You see, God can heal our bodies. Somebody say amen. God can bless us finance, financially. Anybody been blessed financially, supernaturally by God, he can do that. But most of all, God wants to transform and change our lives. A healed body and a good bank account without a transformed life is a waste of a life. God wants to transform us. And we're taught in the scriptures. That explaining ourselves is very important because if people are going to become Christians, they need to see and hear a testimony of what God can do in the life of someone who's disconnected. I want to take the time this morning and teach us about how to explain our faith to other people. Amen? Right from this text, how to explain. Our faith to other people. Uh, First, verse 15 says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Number one, keep a clean heart. Keep a clean heart. How many of you like to eat out? Amen. How many prefer to eat out than cook? I thought I'd get a few more hands. Amen. If you went to your favorite restaurant and were permitted to take a tour of the kitchen, particularly if you've eaten the food already and the food was delicious, you thought the food was great and the service was great. And after you've eaten the food, bragged on the food, text somebody about the food, posted on Facebook how good the food was and how you recommended the restaurant, and then someone gives you a tour of the kitchen. And if you notice that the kitchen is dirty and filthy, Amen. Even though the food tasted good and the service was good and you thought the food was great, if you see that the kitchen is dirty and that those who are preparing the food are unclean and unsanitary, it will probably, irrespective of how good the food was, are y'all following me? It will probably uh, convince you, persuade you not to come back to that restaurant. Am I right about that? And eat any, anymore. Though the food was good because now you've seen, now you've eaten there 20 times and the kitchen has been dirty 20 times. But now that you have discovered and seen for yourself what's going on in the kitchen, probably convince you not to eat anymore. You see, uh, there's a restaurant called Buco De Beppo's, an Italian restaurant. And when you go to this Italian restaurant, the first thing they will do is offer you a tour of the kitchen. they offer you a tour of the kitchen. they allow you to walk through the kitchen. They'll let you see what's in the kitchen. They'll let you see how they prepare, see the people who are working there. Because they know this. If you are confident in what is happening happening in the kitchen, you won't have any doubts about what is coming to your table. See... um, um, Good food and a clean kitchen gives us the sense that we can trust what we are eating. If our deeds are good, but our hearts are unclean, it will render our deeds unconvincing. In other words, people will not believe us. And what gives our testimony power is believability. What gives us believability is a clean life. And The presentation of the gospel to an unbeliever is dependent upon the cleanliness of the vessel. In other words, if we are witnessing to an unbeliever, it is best to witness with a clean vessel. And that's why this verse says set apart Christ in your heart because Christ dwells in a clean vessel. The only way to stay clean is to allow. Somebody say allow because Jesus won't bogart. (laughs) I wish I had some help. No, he won't bogart. He He won't make you do it. But if you allow him to dwell in your heart, he will make your heart suitable for you to transmit the gospel of Jesus Christ with power. Keep a clean heart. Number two, stand by because an opportunity is coming. Amen. Stand by. Stand by. That's flight language. Flight language. I have a ticket. I don't have a seat, but I'm going to get a seat because I'm on standby. Sooner or later, eventually, eventually, uh, they're going to announce, they're going to call my name and a place is going to be made available for me on the plane. Stand by because an opportunity is coming. An opportunity is coming to you and to me to witness to somebody, to share our faith uh, in Jesus Christ with someone. Now, this is another way of saying always be prepared. You never know when that opportunity is going to come. Benjamin Franklin said by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. You see, when it comes to witnessing, you want to witness in a successful way. Somebody say amen. Robert Shuler says, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. In other words, somewhere in your private time, you need to be preparing yourself, reading your scripture, going over your testimony, looking for and waiting and anticipating the opportunity for you to share the gospel with someone. Jimmy Carter said this, we should live our lives as if Christ was coming this afternoon. Most of us live as if Christ is coming sooner or later. Amen. We know he's coming. But Jimmy Carter says we should live our lives as if Christ was coming this afternoon. What difference it would make. I wish I had somebody say amen. If we live with the consciousness, with the belief that Jesus Christ just might arrive before the 6 o'clock news. And so, because we should live like that, be prepared for your opportunity to explain yourself and share your faith with somebody else. In other words, God did not save us. God did not bring you out of darkness into the marvelous light. God did not set you free. God did not change you so that you could keep the message to yourself. The transformation that God has brought out in our lives is for us to be enlisted in his service and that we might share this good news with other people. You want to, in the event that somebody asks you why you are a Christian, Now, we ought to be living in such a way that somebody notices that there is something different about us. We ought not be blending in. We ought not be looking like everybody else, talking like everybody else, sounding like everybody else, dressing like everybody else, laughing at the same jokes that everybody else laughs at. There ought to be something that is visibly different about you. Somebody say amen. Ought to be something about your life. The people in your job ought to recognize it. Your family members ought to recognize it. Your friends ought to notice it. Even if you have unsaved friends, they should be keenly aware that there is something different about you and that you believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, Jesus Christ is not to be hidden. He's not to be uh, camouflaged we are to put him out there on front street. Am I right about that? In other words, he's to be visible in our lives. And when someone asks us the question, are you a Christian? Are you godly? Are you spiritual? Are you a church person? You want to confidently, somebody say confidently. You want to confidently and competently explain yourself. Yes, when it comes to talking to other people about your faith, you don't want to be hemming and hollering. You don't want to be acting like they're asking you to explain a calculus problem or a trig problem. You want to be able to competently and confidently explain and share your faith. How do we do that? What do we talk about? Well, you start here. You can say, well, Jesus redeemed me. Set Christ apart in your heart and always be ready to give an answer. What do you say? He redeemed me. What does this mean? When we say that Jesus redeemed me, we are confessing that we have not always been who we are now. Mm. I'm going to get more amens at the next service on that. Yes, when we say he redeemed me, it, it is a confession that I, I, I have not always Been like this. I did not always think like I think now. I have not always spoken like I speak now. I have not always read what I read now. I have not always lived like I'm living now. And though I'm not perfect, I have been changed. He has changed my life. When we looked at these baptism videos, if one thing comes across in these baptism videos is that at one point in my life, I lived one way. But Christ came into my life. And when Christ came into my life, he changed my life. Having always been who I am. That's the meaning of baptism. And here is the thing. I didn't change myself. I wanted to change myself. I wanted to be different. I wanted to, to alter how I was living, but I could not change myself. Is there anybody here who recognizes that we are powerless against the power of sin and except we yield ourselves to the power of God through Jesus Christ, we will continue replicating the same mistakes and the same errors. And if I had somebody in here who was honest, you would say when you were unredeemed and unsaved, you were not making new mistakes, but that you were doing the same mistake. I wish I had some help. You were doing making the same mistake over and over and over again. But when the power of God uh, comes into your life, when you are born again, Jesus will break the power of the darkness in your life and begin to give you strength to walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, when you're talking about your redemption, this is where you can let a little bit of the cat out of the bag. Yes, when the Apostle Paul was explaining himself, he would always say, I received mercy from God because I persecuted the church. He said, I'm not as good as I look. He said, if you knew about my past, You might have a different opinion of me, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you something about how I used to live. And so he tells them something about his past life. And this is where you share a little something about yourself. You see, the power of your testimony is not just to talk about how clean you are now, but also to share a little bit about what you were and who you were and what you did before redemption. See, the power is in opening up, not in closing down. And this is where you share a little something. Somebody say a little something. You share, I used to be a pathological liar. I used to lie constantly. I didn't even need a reason. I just lied because I saw somebody coming. I used to be selfish and mean. But my story does not end with what I used to be. I know there are people who want to remind me every now and then of what I used to be. But that's not the end of my story. You need to turn the page. There's some more chapters after what I used to be. I wish I had somebody help me with this. Yeah, there's some more written about my life. Yes, I did used to be that. But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And I've been made anew and my life has been changed. God has changed the way I think and the way I live. And I'm no longer the same. Yeah. While I was sinning, while I was broken, while I was acting the fool, While I was fooling myself and trying to fool other people, Jesus redeemed me. And he didn't redeem me when I got myself together. He redeemed me when I was in my worst state. He redeemed me when I I was in my most pathetic state. He came and he redeemed me then. And that's why Paul says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And so when you explain yourself, You explain that Christ transformed you from useless to valuable. He increased your worth. That's what redeemed means. You went from worthless to priceless. Secondly, you explain that God forgave you. Jesus forgave me. Explain that Jesus forgave. This is what forgiveness means. Lewis Sneeds, in his book, Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve, he says this, Forgiveness is God's invention for coming to terms with a world in which, despite their best intentions, people are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply. And he began by forgiving us. The scriptures are clear that when Jesus redeems, he also forgives. I love the favor of God. Anybody here like me? Anybody here just crazy about the favor of God? You (laughs) you know what the favor of God is? The favor of God is this. You want to go to the heat game, but it's sold out and there are no tickets. But the favor of God is that your phone rings and somebody says, you know, I'm busy this afternoon and I have one heat ticket. Would you like to go? You know what that is? That's the favor of God. You know the favor the favor of God is this I am not qualified for what I'm applying for but I'm applying anyway I'm trusting in God I need and and, and somehow God blesses you as the unqualified to even transcend the qualified That's the favor of God. You know what the favor of God is? The favor of God is that your car is in an accident with you behind the wheel, and you somehow get out of the car, and when they come to take your car away, the guy who's driving the record looks at the car and looks at you and looks at the car again and looks at you, and he's trying to figure out how in the world are you standing there unscratched and unscathed in a car that looks like that. You know what the favor of God is? The favor of God is when the doctor says that your child won't make it and your child won't live and your child won't be able to walk and your child won't be able to read or that you can't even have a child and all of a sudden, you're sitting there at the graduation to that same supposed to be speechless child, the same supposed to be walkless child and God has allowed his favor to come upon your life. I am crazy about the favor of God. There are so many things that have happened in my life and your life that the only explanation for why they happen is nothing but God's favor. God's favor. I'm crazy about the favor of God. And one thing about the favor of God, you don't have to be saved to experience the favor of God the Bible says that God allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And I wish somebody in here remembered when they weren't saved and you start tracking your life and you had a timeline of your life. Can't somebody in here see the favor of God on your life even when you weren't serving him? I love his favor. I love it. But Favor, look look at here, favor without forgiveness ends up in misery. Yes, you can have it all, you can be it all, you can know everybody. But if your sins are not forgiven, it is miserable. And what Christ has done, he has forgiven us. I want to go offer you a few passages of scripture. You'll need them this week for your growth group study. Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. It's Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Verse 3 says this, who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases. Ain't that some good stuff there? You know, I'm so glad God didn't make a list of sins eligible for forgiveness. And you have to look on the list to see where I make sure if this happens to happen in my life that I'm covered. But it says he forgives all of our sins. First John chapter 2 verse 12 says this. I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You know what that is? That's good news. That Because of the name of Jesus, all of your sins have been forgiven. And then James chapter 5 verse 13 says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise him up. But look at this part. You not only have the promise of divine healing because of the death of Christ, but it also says, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Don't we serve a great God who covers it all, who makes sure that the transgressions that are present in our life, because we are powerless to them, he covers them by his grace and by his mercy. Forgiveness is the miracle of the cross that guarantees that God will not render the due punishment that we deserve, but by his grace, we are forgiven. And third, you want to explain that Christ sanctifies me. Christ sanctifies me. But when you're explaining it, don't use the word sanctified. That's not good for talking to people about it. Christ, Don't say, well, you know, Christ sanctified. Don't use sanctified. You maybe use the word cleansed. He cleansed me. He, and, and, and it's good to say he keeps cleansing me. He keeps on cleansing me. 1 John chapter 1, of verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, hallelujah. Which this says that if you do sin, you can tell God about it. You don't have to pretend that you didn't. If we confess, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us and then purify us, the same word from which we get catharsis, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And this is to say that if I acknowledge my sins, Jesus not only forgives me, but he cleanses me from all of my, and I made up a word here, wrongness. Yeah, he cleanses me. He keeps cleaning me. Anybody in here has no record of sin since you've been saved? I know it's got to be one. Always at least one. No record of sin since you've been saved. The fact is there is a long record of sin even since you've been saved, right? Let me try to illustrate what this cleansing means. It's kind of like this. Anybody ever, uh, well, some of us in here who cook, we cook like this. We cook, but we don't wash dishes. (laughs) There are folk, now folk who are great cooks, but they don't wash dishes. So the whole time while they're cooking, they're just looking for another dish to continue to prepare the food. And when they finish cooking, there's a whole pile. You know, I hate to eat knowing that after I finish a good meal, There's going to be a whole pile of dishes. Wait, anybody know what I mean? But there are some other people that as they are cooking, everything that gets dirty, they wash it immediately. In other words, they don't let it hang around. They don't let the stuff get stuck and hard on the dish. They cleanse it immediately. This is what this verse means. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and keep on washing. Does not let it stick from all of our unrighteousness. In other words, Jesus doesn't wait till you get to heaven to clean you. When you get to heaven, you shall be cleaned already by the blood of Jesus. And finally, you say, he justifies me. And the word justify means to make right. Now, let me real, real quick. Are there any parents that have any children in the house sitting with them? Any parents having children sitting, sitting with them, sitting with them? Come, 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 come. I, would the parent, both of you all parents, bring one child with you real quick. And someone bring me a microphone. Um, Brother Castello, you have a mic. Really quick, real quick, real quick. I'm going to see if I can illustrate what this. Now, this is the power mic. Thank you though. Amen. All righty. Let's give our family a hand here. Young man, what is your name? Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. What's your name? Justice. Justice. Just justice of Justin. Justice. How do you spell it? J-U-S-T-I-C-E. Justice. Hallelujah. We're going to really make this illustration work today. (laughs) Justice. Well, this whole, um, this whole thing when we say we're justified means to make right. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Now, Justice, I'm going to have to ask your parent a question because you might kind of not answer it 100% correctly. But I want to know, does Justice ever do anything to disqualify himself from some of the blessings that you may want to provide for him? Yes. See, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he does some things. So, Justice, tell me, what are some of the things you like to do? go to theme parks go to theme parks anything else play games play games what kind of games do you like video games Uh aha you like video games now i want to ask the parents i'm I'm just going to ask mom does he ever do anything the way you have to say justin put those video games down yes all right and in other words he's done something where he does not deserve to play the video games to be a beneficiary of the blessing. Who bought the video games? We did. You bought the video games. How about the electricity? We paid for it. How about the room that he has? We paid for it. You provide all of that. And sometimes he does something that disqualifies himself. Now, what do you tell him? I want to hear what you tell him when he's done something. Can you tell us? (laughs) Can you say, just fix it up for us. What What do you say to him? You can't play it for a week. Okay, you can't play for a week. Now here is what justify means. It means this, Justin, that you've done something that the right thing to do is not to allow you to play for a week. You cannot benefit from the blessing that has been provided for you. Now, this is what justification is. Justification is this. The the law has said you cannot play. But justification is this. The big authority comes in. The authority comes. Now, some, 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 of the, some of the mothers right now say, ah, oh, here we go, here we go. But the authority comes in, and the authority knows what just, justice has done. They're not ignorant. They understand. They're clear. They know exactly what he was done. And what they do, they speak to justice, and they make him right by the words that they say and not by the behavior. And so they say to justice, that he can. Now, what I want you to do is give him permission to play the game. How does that sound? All right. Well, uh, you can go ahead and play right quick. All right. All right. All right. Listen, that is what God, first of all, let me hook justice up. Just, I need some change, man. I know you got, if you can find some change, bring me a 10 back. All right, and you can have the other 10, all right? All right, but you got to find some change. Look at that guy smiling. That's a happy guy. Let's give him a hand. You all can be seated. Bring my change back, though. I got another service to go. Amen. (laughs) Listen, this is how it works in your life. You have done some things to disqualify you from the blessings of God. You're the accuser of the brethren says to God, God, you can't bless them like that. Look how they have violated your law. Look how they have walked outside of your grace. Look how they have turned your back. But God speaks over your life. You can go ahead and you can play for a little bit. Your my blessing is not cut off From you, he makes me right. He makes me right. I'm justified by what God says over my life. Let me finish this up. He redeems me. He cleanses me. He justifies me. But then here's the final part. The final part of the verse says this. But say it with gentleness and respect. When you are witnessing to somebody, it says it is important that you respect the humanity of the other person. And listen, he's saying that how you say it is just as important as what... You say, say it with gentleness and respect. In other words, when you're witnessing, you don't want the person that you're sharing the gospel with to think that you have any arrogance in you. You don't want them, you don't want your words to sound as if you're saying you're better than them. You don't want to sound as if you're condemning them. You want to say it with gentleness and respect. In other words, you want to say it in such a way that the person can see the humility in your life. You know, humility is powerful. Amen. Because what humility does allows the person to see themselves differently. You see, it allows themselves to compare their spirit with a humble spirit because you can't attack a humble spirit. No debating a humble spirit. No arguing with a humble spirit. No, um, no accusation against a humble spirit, you want to say it in such a way that it does not injure or bring disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. One of the responsibilities that God has given us as believers is to share our faith with other people. To tell people why we live the way we do. If this creates a great deal of anxiety in your life, just lift your hand up. If the thought of sharing your faith with others makes your heart beat faster, lift your hand. It's like that. It is an anxiety-creating situation sometimes. But I want to tell you, the best way to overcome the anxiety is to go ahead and start the conversation. Once you get started, I'm going to put it in old school language. If you take one step, God will help you through the rest of it. Are you with me? Lift those hands in the air now will. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, help us, God, to set you apart in our hearts. Help us to be prepared. Help us to be prepared, Lord, for the opportunity that is coming to us. And let us be able to explain to others the reason why we live the way we live, talk the way we talk, walk the way we walk, do the things we do. And let us do it, O oh God, with humility and with respect for the other people. God, we pray that we would not be arrogant,